Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, it's Chelsea, and I'm here today with Heather Scherzer for the second time. Yeah, back. hey guys. <laughs> it's good to have you, and we are in a very exciting book today. We start Esther, which is awesome. Um, We actually, the very first part of the reading is in Ezra. It's kind of talking about the temple finishing and being dedicated. And then we move into Esther, which happens around the same time. So, um, Heather, what stuck out to you today in the reading? Well, as Chelsea informed me, because I have read this book and I love this book, but I don't think I've actually knew this um it (laughs) it doesn't mention um god really at all in this book right um but what i what stood out to me is you can see so so much how god's hand is in this there's just all these you know people would just say coincidences but that it's not just a coincidence like god's hand is in so many of these instances in here Right. Yeah. You can, I think that's a great encouragement for the book of Esther is like, as we're reading it together, um, be looking for how God does present himself, even though it's not actually in the text. Um, one of the ways, I mean, there's just, like you said, a lot of coincidences is what other people will call it. Yeah. Um, but one of the like figures in here is I think Esther is a Christ figure. We see like Christ figures throughout all the old Testament. We have like Moses, we have David, we have Mm -hmm. even some prophets and some priests that are just like pointing ahead to Christ. I think Esther is one of the few women in the old Testament that stands as a Christ figure because she, um, is willing to put herself in harm's way. Um, she's a Jew in a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's super interesting to me. And so I think we'll keep seeing that as we're reading through the book, but yeah. Um, looking for God throughout the book of Esther is definitely, um, something that we should definitely do. Um, what else? Anything else to got to you? It's just wild to me, like how this person who, you know, was a Jew, like she probably wasn't the typical view of beauty. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, cause she wasn't probably all into all the fashions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and probably had a much more basic way of caring for herself. Still. Yeah. Clint. She cleanliness, exiled, but, so She was probably poor. Yeah. There's yeah. And so I'm thinking like the fact that she was picked out directly from the start and like, you know, and thinking about what a king would like, he would probably go for those who are just very up to date with what's going on and the looks yeah. and all that stuff. But no, it was, you know, the humility and the humble beauty of Esther. Like yeah. it, that is just that alone is just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I kind of noticed um, is how this kingdom. So this is Persia, King Xerxes in Persia, how they just treat people as instruments to be used. So mm. he has Queen Vashti, who he's yeah. asking just to come, just to show off her beauty. He has okay. his eunuchs. So we know what eunuchs are. And that's less, it's just like cash treated men that are just like used to carry out the King's orders. Um, and then we have all these women who are mostly young girls, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm not assuming it says that like young, beautiful virgins mm-hmm. um, who are brought before him. And before he even chooses them, they're asked to go to the king's bed and basically perform for this guy. Um, it's it's just this horrible. <laughs> it's 
it's kind of like a brothel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it a, to be a, to yeah. be blind. <laughs> right. It's a horrible picture of how this king and his kingdom sees people is or people to be used, mm-hmm. not people to be um, served uh, by the government. But anyway, that really stuck out to me as I was kind of reading it more. I was like, wow, everybody is just an instrument to be used by the king. <laughs> well, and and they had each woman spend an entire year. Yeah. I was like six months of beauty treatments. It's wild. Six <laughs> months of that, and then six months of perfume right. and ointment. What is that? Uh, never mind. Maybe I don't. Want what to does that means. do? I don't, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what they were going for? Exactly. But still, a year of just preparing, just to see the king. Like, just to see the king. Isn't that crazy? I a year's a long time. It is a long time, and they. I mean, they're probably terrified. Like oh, they're yeah. all brought from their homes all over the kingdom. They're brought. And they're probably ter- they're young girls who are just like being forced into this situation, and it's terrifying. Um, so it is, and that's another way we see God's favor. He, the person in charge of the harem, favors Esther, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's another just evidence of how God is looking out for His people. And I think, um, I just I love what Mordecai says um, that. I guess there's like that line about such a time as this, which is a really famous line in Esther. But um, it says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, and but you and your relatives will die. Hmm. The deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise. Is him just like knowing the promises that God's made his people, like knowing yeah. that the Jews will be delivered because God has promised it over and over again. Um, and also just another point ahead to not Mordecai probably doesn't know this, but pointing ahead to like the gospel that yeah. the relief and deliverance are going to come. And he believes in that promise from God. Um, and how like timely is that for us to know that like, if we aren't obedient, God's plan is still going to happen, but we're going to miss out on whatever blessing and, um, growth we get from being obedient to God. That's what I was just thinking too. It's so applicable to today. Yeah. Like. Yeah, there's God. If it's in his plan, he's going to make it happen. But he gives us opportunities, whether it's just like the still small voice, be like, I need to go talk to that person or I need to go do this. And and you are like, eh, you know, I'm hearing wrong. I'm not feeling this right. today. You know, and then that regret comes later like it always does. But yeah. it doesn't mean that God's provision won't still happen. It's yeah. just you're right. It's he allows us to be part of this grander plan to bless us. Like he doesn't yeah. have to use he doesn't, us. Yeah, he doesn't have to, but he chooses to use people who are definitely not worthy mm-hmm. to carry out these amazing plans. And yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Ezra 6, beginning in verse 14. The temple was finally finished as it had been commanded by the God of Israel and decreed by Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, the kings of Persia. The temple was completed on March 12th during the sixth year of King Darius's reign. The temple of God was then dedicated with great joy by the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the people who had returned from exile. During the dedication ceremony for the temple of God, 100 young bulls, 200 rams, and 400 male lambs were sacrificed, and 12 male goats were presented as a sin offering for the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Then the priests and Levites were divided into their various divisions to serve at the temple of God in Jerusalem, as prescribed in the book of Moses. On April 21st, the returned exiles celebrated Passover. The priests and Levites had purified themselves and were ceremonially clean, so they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. The Passover meal was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and by the others in the land who had returned from their corrupt practices to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Then they celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. There was great joy throughout the land because the Lord had caused the king of Assyria to be favorable to them so that he helped them to rebuild the temple of God, the God of Israel. Ezra 4, verse 6. Years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Esther 1. These events happened in the days of Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all of his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. At the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day of the feast, King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, and he told the seven eunuchs who attended him, Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, to bring Queen Vashti to him with a royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he wanted to ask their advice. The names of these men were Karshina, Shethar, Admetha, Tarshish, Miris, Marcina, Mukmin, seven nobles of Persia and Media. They met with the king regularly and held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders, properly sent through his eunuchs? Mechumen answered the king and his nobles. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought this made good sense, so he followed Memucan's counsel. 
He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendants suggested, let us search the empire to find a beautiful young virgin for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who pleases the king the most will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. At that same time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiachin of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other women, was brought into the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and the family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem, where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abihel, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin, Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in the early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions, just as she did when he lived. she lived in his home. One day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, 
Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. In the month of April, during the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim, to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces, and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated in a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as a law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples, so they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying out with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in the Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. 
Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights. My maid and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.